Cool. Well, thank you guys. Good morning, everybody. Lovely to be here. And um, just great that we get to do church together, whether it's at home, here in the room. Um, what a joy after the year and a bit it's been like to be able to do this. Genuinely, it's so, so good. Um, if we've not met before, which again, based on the last year, is actually quite likely these days. Um, my name's Chris. I'm part of the staff team here at Grace Church. Uh, been on the staff team for about seven-ish years now. Um, been in Nottingham for 10 or so years, a little bit longer. Um, and today I'm going to be carrying on our current teaching series that we're in called We Are The Church, um, which we've done a few of these now. We're kind of hitting the halfway point today, kind of part four. And just want to kind of start with, I suppose, a bit of a refresher for why we are doing this series. Why are we looking at what it is for us to be the church? And really it came out of just a, a reflection on what we have been through as a society and as a church over the last year, where actually what we thought or expected of church ended up being quite fractured or fragmented, certainly not what we have expected for many years. Um, and so kind of at this moment where we are coming, by no means we're out of it, but kind of there, there is a transition point that we're hitting, kind of entering a new phase, wanted to address and kind of really get to grips with like, what has God commissioned the church to be? Like, what has he designed this to be? Like, what is our purpose here on earth? So that we can have fresh vision then for whatever's next, whatever God has lined up for us. And um, today I'm going to be looking at the topic of being a sent people, that the church is a sent people. And I'm sure if you're anything like me, that kind of language probably comes with quite a lot of conceptual baggage. By that, I mean that you probably already have some preconceived ideas of what it is to be sent in church, like kind of stuff about mission and evangelism. And my encouragement to you for today, as I think we should always do when we come to look at the word together is to hold all of that stuff really quite lightly in our hands. And instead of just saying, well, I think I already know the answers to all of this, actually just allow God to come and speak something fresh, something new. And say, actually, hey, even if there's stuff here that maybe kind of needs a bit of correction or could be reshaped, like, hey, let's do that. Lord, we welcome you into our midst for that. So just to that end, I'm just going to pray before we start. So just close your eyes on me for a moment. Father, we do thank you for this day and for your gathered church, this community that we're part of. And I pray today that you would come and speak clearly into our hearts, that we would have the, the courage to hold lightly any ideas we already have and say, hey, God, what do you want to say today? What is your will for us as Grace Church and as a people? Holy Spirit, come. We welcome you into our midst. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to read from John chapter 20 this morning. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this, this kind of few verses first. Um, then before just digging into this passage, we are going to go back and look at some stuff in the Old Testament to try and give us some context for what's happening here. Um, but let's get into verse, uh, verse 19 of John chapter 20. This is one of the accounts of Jesus's life, um, the fourth in the Bible. And um, we're going to be picking up actually on the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Big day by all accounts, okay? Um, and I just, as I was reading some of the commentaries, lots of them point out like, well, this meant that that was the first ever Easter Sunday, which I just thought was quite cool. Like, it's just now like a bit of a date and in our diaries, like we know it comes around every year, but there had to be a first one. And this is it. Totally irrelevant to my message, but I just thought it was quite a cool fact. Um, so John 20 verse 19 starts here. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. 
The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, although that is a very short set of verses for us today, I'm sure you can see and agree that even just from those sets of words, like there is a mandate and a commission given by Jesus to the disciples to be sent to go. Yeah, like they're not just told to stay where they are immediately on this kind of this dawn of a new age after the resurrection when Jesus is risen from the dead. He sends the disciples, sends them to go. There are sent people from right here. But I want us to go back before we get into this, as I said, to almost like see what the track record is of God's people. And I hope show that this isn't the first time that God's people have been commissioned like this. In fact, God's people have always been a sent people. So we're going to whiz way back to the beginning, literally, to creation. Genesis chapter 1, in verse 27 and verse 28. You read that God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. So here we have these first quoted words to humanity, to mankind. And what does God do? He sends them. He commissions them, not just to stay and remain where they are in Eden and in the comfort of that place, but to go and fill the earth. Why? So that the world would be full of people that know God. Very simply, that the world would be full of people that know him. Essentially, that his kingdom would come to every corner of the earth, that his reign would come to wherever the earth is. Then if you skip on a little bit to Genesis chapter 12, a bunch of stuff has happened in between, obviously, but we're just going to whiz through. Um, we're introduced to Abraham, or at this point in, in the Bible, he's known as Abram. And uh, he is the founding father of the people of God and the kind of nation of Israel. He's the one to whom God famously said he's going to make his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And in Genesis 12, verse 1, we read that the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. Then in verse 3, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And again, we have this, this same idea. Not to stay, not to remain or establish anything where he was, but is sent to go with his family to essentially create the people of God, the nation of Israel, as it will become. Why? Well, for all the same reasons. So that the earth would be blessed, so the earth would know God, the greatest blessing that there is, that his kingdom would reign. So we can see from these two moments, right at the beginning of the establishing of God's people on earth, right at the beginning of humanity, that God's people have always been a sent people, told not to consolidate or just make strong what they already have and settle and be comfortable, but to go, to be sent, so that the world would know him. That one purpose, that one mission, that he'd be known across the earth. But sadly, for all the second chances that God gives to his people throughout the Old Testament, they never really live up to or fulfill God's mission, not in its fullness. And instead, they end up largely being characterized by rebellion, 
As you read through the Old Testament, it's a very up and down journey for the people of God. And it's into that context, to this rebellious people, that the prophet Isaiah speaks. At the point in time when Israel was in exile in Babylon, that the power of the day that JP mentioned last week, kind of roughly 570 BC, Isaiah speaks in chapter 49, verse 6, and he says, It's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And at this point in Isaiah's prophecy, he's speaking of this mysterious servant, this one who is to come. And he says that God says his desire is not just for that servant to come and reestablish the bordered nation of Israel. Kind of like, okay, go back to what you were and be that nation. He has a far greater vision for what is to come for what this servant is to do, to be a light for the nations, global, worldwide, to fulfill what Israel had failed at, bringing salvation well beyond their borders to the ends of the earth. And as prophesied, hundreds of years later, God himself takes decisive action after all of the failure of the people of Israel up to that point. God takes matters into his own hands. In the turning point of all history, in the crowning moment, in the climax of God's mission to make himself known across the earth, what does God do? He sends his son. He sends Jesus into the world. In 1 John chapter 4, we read, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Where Adam and Eve failed, where the people of Israel failed, and even after all the second chances given to the people of God time and time again, where every iteration of God's people had failed to fulfill his mission, to make him known on the earth, in steps this mystery servant that Isaiah prophesied about, in steps the son, sent by the father. And he has come to fulfill God's mission on earth. He says it, he says he's come to do the will of the one who sent me with this purpose that the world would know God, that salvation would reach every corner of the earth. That's what he has come to do. And in fact, in Jesus's final prayer before he's arrested, he lays it out for us. In John 17, he prays, Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me maybe in them. I will continue to make you known. That's what he's come to do. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to continue in my mission, in your mission, Father, to make you known to the earth. Why? In order that the love that you have for me may be in them. This love that I've enjoyed forever, says Jesus, I want them to know it. See, this mission that Jesus has now come to fulfill isn't about knowing stuff about God. 
about knowing information and facts and figures or whatever you think it might be. It's about knowing this incredible love that Father has eternally had for the Son. The whole thing, this whole mission, the whole plan and purpose is born in love. In his book, The Good God, Mike Reeves puts it beautifully. He says, the Father has sent his Son to make himself known. Meaning, not that he wanted to simply download some information about himself, but that the love the Father eternally had for the Son might be in those who believe in him. And that we might enjoy the Son as the Father always has. This mission is not about imparting stuff or knowing information. It's love that's on offer. That's what God wants to fill the earth with. That's what he wants to take to every corner of the globe. God's mission is to extend this invitation beyond just a bordered nation of Israel. Extend and send this invitation to know this love I've had for my son forever to every person in the world, to make it available. That the world might know this eternal love. And it sounds like an incredible invitation. It is the best invitation, in fact, to know the love of God. And yet you'd be forgiven for having your doubts. Kind of based on the track record of God's people up to this point, and so many times kind of sent to make him known in the earth, there could be something in you that's like, oh, but like what's going to be different this time? What's going to have changed that's going to mean that it's going to work? Well, it's the events that follow the prayer that I just quoted that change everything and make this mission possible. See, moments after this prayer, Jesus is arrested. He's subsequently tortured and eventually hung up on a cross. He has huge nails driven through each of his wrists and his feet to the point where his whole body weight is just being suspended up on these two wooden beams struggling to breathe, enduring immeasurable pain and suffering. He eventually dies, gives up his life. And yet in his death, Jesus knowingly, willingly took on himself the crushing weight of the worst of humanity. Every single sin accounted for. Yours, mine, every thought, action, anything that has ever been in rebellion against God. He bears the weight of it all. All sin, all fear, all guilt, all shame and shadow put to death on the cross in Jesus. All to fulfill God's mission. You see, up to that point, this invitation from God, it didn't just get lost in the post. It's almost like every time it went out, it just got consumed and burnt up by sin and selfishness in the human heart, by rejection and rebellion. Something or someone had to give for the message to get through. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus, the son, gave himself at the cross so the message could be received freely. Basically, for the very first time, the human heart could receive this invitation free without any burden, without any obligation. He came to make right every wrong and make a way 
so the invitation could get through, so that we could come and know God's love forever. And look, if you're here today watching, maybe even at home, and you wouldn't count yourself as a Christian, you've never said, I follow Jesus. Like what Jesus did, he did for you so that you could receive that invitation. You could receive it today. You could take it into your heart and say, actually, yes, I want to know this love. This could be your day to receive the invitation, maybe for the very first time. And everything that then has happened brings us up to John chapter 20, verse 19, where I read at the beginning. That very first Easter evening, that evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were together with the doors locked because they were absolutely terrified that they would be next. You know, they've given their lives over the last few years to follow this leader, Jesus, that has now been put to death by the authorities. They're absolutely petrified. So they go and lock themselves in this room for fear of what might happen to them. And then we read, Jesus came into a locked room. Very cool move. He just appears to them. He says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. He shows them his hands and his side where the spear went in just to prove that it is him. And the boys are absolutely beside themselves. They're so overjoyed. That's what the Bible says. They're delighted. They, they can't believe it, but they can believe it because Jesus said it was going to happen, but they had their doubts, but now it's all come good. They're so thrilled. And then Jesus speaks again. He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. That's the very first thing he says to the group of disciples. Now, he doesn't even like celebrate with them or get in on it. He just says, as a father sent me, I'm sending you. In exactly the same way the father sent me to fulfill his mission, I'm sending you to do the same. In exactly the same way the father sent me to make him known, to reveal his love to the world, I'm sending you to do exactly the same thing. And these guys form the early church. So this commission becomes our commission. This is where it all begins for us. We are sent, as they were, into the world to share his love, to extend the invitation. That is our mission today. But it, this isn't like some sort of handover moment in a relay. Like it, it looks like that on first reading. Like Jesus has done his bit. And then he's like, now it's your turn. Off you go. Anyone ever done a relay, like a four by one or a four by four? Horrendous things I have to do. Um, I used to dabble in athletics in my heyday. Um, fancied myself a 200 meter runner, which was mainly because all the fastest guys did the 100 where the glory was and all the idiots did the 200 because it was absolutely would kill you every time. Who sprints for 200 meters? Nobody, it's a very daft thing to do. Anyway, I ended up being the first leg of the four by one teams, okay, in all the competitions I went to. And my goodness, like the sheer terror doing a relay, knowing that you could be the one that drops the baton. Nobody wants to be that guy. And like, then what happens is you run your leg and you hand the baton over, and then you get the absolute relief knowing that at this point you're like, frankly, I don't even care if we finish the race, let alone win it. I'm just glad I wasn't the one to drop it. And so you look at this moment and like Jesus is like, okay, I've done my bit. Here you go. I'm handing over the baton. Whew, what a relief. Not up to me anymore. It's you guys. But that's not what's happening at all. In fact, the commentator D.A. Carson, he puts it like this. He says, it's probably wrong to think of the disciples simply replacing Jesus 
The perfect tense used in the first part of this uh, commission, as the Father has sent me, suggests that Jesus is in an ongoing state of sentness. In other words, Christ's disciples do not take over Jesus' mission. His mission continues and is effective in their ministry. See, Jesus' mission hasn't stopped. He doesn't hand it over. What happens is the disciples and we just get to join in. Not just as individuals, but together. In the same way that he appeared to the disciples as a group, together. He's commissioned us together. And immediately after he commissions them, we read verse 22. He says, or it says, and with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, it turns out there's a lot of debate around this verse. Um, you know that when you hit a commentary and it's like, here are all the options. And it gets down to like letter M or something ridiculous. Like, whew, there's a lot to say here. One of the most simplistic ones, which I actually think is rather funny, is that he breathed on them is just a very literal explanation of like what happened, i.e. like Jesus just exhaled some air, full stop, and then says, receive the Holy Spirit. And those two things are just completely disconnected. I think that's like a bit of a reductive view of the Bible and a little bit simplistic. What most commentators tend to agree on is that this verse is symbolic. This isn't like an alternative Pentecost. But what Jesus is doing here is he is pointing to Pentecost, to what is just around the corner, where God breathes his spirit and pours out onto the church and they receive power. That's what is going on here. This Holy Spirit given, being the one that takes our dead hearts and makes them beat again. The one who at the moment of salvation reveals Jesus to us. The one who, as we read in Romans, raised Jesus from the dead. That same power is the one given to the disciples, to the church, for this mission. Bruce Mill, the commentator, says, the power which brought Jesus through death and resurrection is the power which is made available to the church in its mission. And this Holy Spirit being in us, not just around us, not just next to us, not just near us, but actually within us, presence in the people of God, means that we don't just follow in the footsteps of Jesus or kind of get to walk alongside him, but actually Jesus is within us and we are within him when we do this mission. There is no separation anymore. And in the same way that Father, Son, and Spirit are fulfilling this mission together, we are sent together as a family, not just as individuals. Yes, there will be some who have greater measure of gifting kind of as evangelists, as it were. That's fine, but we all need everyone for this to work. It has always been God's plan that we do it together. It's always been his plan that he would be known across the earth through what? The local church, through his gathered people. This new community that he has presenced himself in, he has sent us. Now, there's a reason why when we planted the River Church in September of last year, we sent a team. We didn't send one person. We didn't even just send a couple or one family. We sent a team, people with different personalities, giftings, even like different jobs and areas of the city they're going to be in. Because God wants the church to be done together because we all need each other. It's not just down to one or two people with specific gifting. Everybody has a part to play. We're sent as a family, just as God's sent as a family, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, to make him known across the earth and to extend this invitation to enjoy his love forever.
So I think based on everything we've just gone through, I think there's a compelling reason to believe that the church are a sent people. Maybe you disagree, but I think it's there. We are a sent people, agreed. And yet, there is still kind of that lingering question of sent where? Like, where am I supposed to be going with this great mission that has been given over to us? Like, I know that it's to every corner of the earth because I keep saying it, but I don't know about you, I don't have any plans to go to every corner of the earth anytime soon. And frankly, in this current climate, ain't nobody gonna be hitting every corner of the earth because that green list for travel is so friggin' limited. So no one's going anywhere that far anytime soon. So where have we been sent? It's actually a really simple answer. You've been sent wherever you are. For us, Grace Church, we've been sent here to Nottingham, to the people here. God has given us as a church a mandate to make him known in this city, in our neighborhoods, in our areas of influence, you know, the specific office that you work in, that's where you've been sent. The coffee shop that you frequent every week, that's where you've been sent. The school where your kids go, that maybe even wasn't their first choice, that is actually where you've been sent. The house that you live in, the course that you're on, every single part of what to you might feel a mundane, repetitive life, that is the place that God has sent you to be his missionary. Whether you think you're here by chance or you came here on purpose, whether you think God called you to Nottingham or to this job or this part of your life or not, you have been sent here by God for this moment in time. You do not have to plant a church to be sent. You do not have to go abroad to be sent. You do not have to even frankly consider yourself to be remotely evangelistic to be sent. It is just in the fundamental nature of God's people to be a sent people all of the time. We are all sent together. But how do we do it? Good question. <laughs> now, I could give you like a long list of like top tips of like how to be more evangelistic in your conversations, how to give a 90 second testimony, how to like chat to people on the walk home or invite them into your home. Or all, I, I could do that. I'm not gonna. There's plenty of stuff online that you can find about that. There's loads of people in the church that can help us all with that kind of thing. And at the risk of being the worship guy that just always talks about worship, that's what I'm going to do. I think it starts in our hearts. I think that's where it has to begin. And the reason why I say that is because of what Jesus said in Matthew's gospel. It says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That is to say that whatever is going on in here, that's the thing that you're going to talk about. That's the thing that's going to get airtime in your life. And so when it comes to figuring out how do we go effectively, how are we sent well into this kind of great mission field that is our areas of influence, I think it actually has to start in our hearts, just loving on Jesus. I think that's where it has to begin. Like for us as a people to be sent well, I think we've got to be a people that just love Jesus more than anything else. To be a people that adore him and put him first in every day of our lives and consider him the best featuring thing in our life today. For him to be the first and final thought in our minds every day. 
for him to be the one that we pursue, that we chase after, that we give ourselves to. Because it's then from that place where like we love him so much that it just bubbles up and over, that overflow that our mouths will begin to speak, that then we'll talk about him and then we'll make him known to those around us. That's where it all begins. Hand, you and the band want to come up. <clears throat> Woof, we're running out of time. Um, okay, we're ascent people. God's people have always been ascent people. It is now one of the fundamental parts of what it means to be part of God's people in the church. Oh, you need me to move, don't you? Sorry, let's do this. Father sent the Son to then make this mission worldwide and possible. Sends the Holy Spirit to empower us to not go it alone, but to join in on God's mission. And he sends us to wherever you are in your life at the moment. That is where he has sent you. That's where he wants you to be. That's where he wants you to talk and make him known. And look, for all of the practical tips I said I could have given, I do just absolutely believe with all my heart after working on this this week that it has to start right here within us. Because otherwise it becomes a really cold thing for us to do. We become sort of like, I don't know, people sent on a mission in suits to go and like tell things and like tick things off and like, oh, I did a good job today. The whole thing's meant to be born out of love. That's what Jesus did it for. The same has to be true of us. Our mission has to be born out of love for him first and then love for those around us as a result. Maybe that's not what you wanted to hear from a talk about what it is to be sent. Maybe you want the list of tips and tricks to help you this week. But my conviction is that God wants us to address our hearts first. That is the way that we're going to be sent most effectively into the world around us. So what we're going to do, I'm going to get hand in the band just to lead us in a part of a song. Um, and then I'm going to come back and I'm just going to pray for the Holy Spirit to come and empower us and fill our hearts with love. And from that place, we can go into the world. Is that okay? So let's stand here in the room. If you want to stand at home to join in as well, that'd be great. Hand over to you, and I'll be back in a second.